Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. of Homeschooling Helps with Andrea Schwartz. As you can see, I am joined by my co-host, Nancy Wilk. Hey, Nancy. Hi, Andrea. All right. So today, I fully anticipate that um, this conversation might draw some raised eyebrows, might draw some interesting comments, but from my way of thinking, so much the better. I like that. So I'm going to let you introduce the topic, Nancy. Okay. Well, Andrea... As always, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm really excited about today's topic. I think it's very, very pertinent to all the things that are going on. And um, so let's just jump in. Okay. So when we think about educating our children and the curriculum that we choose and all these things, how careful do we need to be and what things do we need to pay attention to so that we're um, educating our children specifically for their gender. Like, do we need a specific um, curriculum for my girls and a different curriculum for my boys? And how do we think of this in terms of their calling, their vocation, and preparing them to walk in, um, to answer God's call on their life? Okay, so you kind of asked three questions there and I'm I'm sure there's a lot no that's fine and I'm going to try to create a foundation so that I can actually answer that question first and we've talked about this before curriculum usually refers to the academic pursuit of education and education is much more than book learning education is preparation to be useful and with a biblical mindset, useful to the kingdom of God. When Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that word righteousness could also have as a synonym justice. And when you're talking about justice, you're talking about God's law. And so in answer to the question, should boys and girls be taught differently? The first part of my answer is no, they should not. Because boys and girls, men and women, are all under the law of God. So it's wrong to steal if you're a man. It's wrong to steal if you're a woman. It's wrong to kill if you're a man. It's wrong to kill if you're a woman. Now you might think, well, that's obvious, but it's not so obvious, especially in how we live in our day-to-day life. Because today, if you are a woman who has an unwanted pregnancy, you can go and you can authorize the killing of your child. If on the other hand, the man who's the father of the child decides he doesn't want the child and you wanna keep the child and he injures you or the child, he could be tried for murder. So if we start parsing out, well, this law only applies to men or this law only applies to women, we've done great injury to the word of God because God's law, is operative for all people at all times, believer and unbeliever, 6,000 years ago and 6,000 years into the future. There won't be a time 
where God's law isn't operative. So the first part of that answer is no, you will not teach people differently because if you're teaching the word of God, then you're teaching God's decrees, the king of kings decrees on what it is he expects. And by extension, what things he will bless and what things he will curse. Okay. So that's, the, that's, the, that's the no part. Okay. There's a yes. I hear part. a but. I hear a but. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not even a but. It's that that's the umbrella on which the next part will be answered. Okay. So do you teach girls differently than you teach boys in terms of how to be useful to the kingdom of God? And like other things, we need to go back to the beginning. The book of Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings. So every major doctrine of scripture will be found in the book of Genesis. And okay. just like the evolutionists or the theistic evolutionists challenge Genesis because Genesis says God created and they're saying something very different. They're saying everything evolved. So that's the challenge right there. When people give into that aspect of life and try to incorporate it into the scripture, they're making that scientism supreme over God's word. And as faithful Christians, we can't do that because as soon as we do that, we've put another God before God and we put another law before God. Okay. So in the beginning, God created the capacity for maleness and femaleness, but femaleness didn't show up for a while. We don't know how long Adam was without a wife, but it was long enough to establish himself in his calling. You know, and you would say, what was Adam's calling? Well, God put him in the garden and didn't give him any tools. Adam had to create tools. Adam had to classify or name the animals. He had to say, okay, this bird is very different than this raccoon. And he probably observed their behaviors and had to figure out how to keep certain animal groups different. So he had a task to do. And I dare say, most people would be at an extreme loss if you just stuck him in the middle of a place and say, okay, create a civilization. But that's in essence what God said. So after Adam did that for a while, he started noticing that Mr. Raccoon had Mrs. Raccoon, Mr. Tiger had Mrs. Tiger, but there was no one that matched him. And so the scripture gives us a commentary that God created woman in order to help man. Now, feminist notwithstanding, oh, don't you tell me I was created to help a man. Mm -hmm. But that's what the Bible says. So understand well, that your issue isn't with the church, isn't with this, it's with God if that's what you propose. So because women were created afterwards, although Adam had the capacity for femaleness, otherwise we never would have had, you know, females. We have to look and say, what does the Bible say the primary calling of a man is? What does the Bible say the primary calling of a woman is? And so in that regard, once we start unraveling that or unpacking that, we're going to say, well, if they're different, they obviously have to be taught differently. Okay. I'm with you so far. But the... The fact that Adam had his calling before Eve and Eve is there to help him, they, they may have um, 
you know, different um, de in details, but in the main, it's still the same thing. It's to, it's to do together what Adam was supposed to be doing and was indeed doing at the beginning. Correct? Almost correct. Okay. Obviously, obviously Adam was pursuing his calling, but the first not good of the Bible is that it's not good for man to be alone. Right. So there was a deficit. There was an absence until Eve came along and then together. So God's plan wasn't that Adam would be doing this all on his own. And then he said, whoa, this isn't working. Let's create a woman. The delay in creating the woman was that Adam would have certain things under his belt, so to speak, and understand the longing that he would have. And so mm -hmm. God in purposely intended for Adam to have that longing for a woman, not mm -hmm. someone to dominate, not someone to push around, because as Dr. Rush Juni likes to say, if that's all God had in mind, the dog would do. If you had a pet dog and you could say sit when you want the dog to sit and lie down and stand up, that would have been sufficient. But obviously God wanted a mirror image. God wanted something, someone I should say, who would be compatible. So Eve's femaleness, when you looked at her anatomically, was different than Adam's maleness. And that would have been obvious to both of them at the beginning, especially since at the beginning they were not clothed. Okay. okay. I gotcha. Okay. Should I keep going? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So if we look at the calling God placed on the man and the calling God placed on the woman, those callings were in place before the fall. So the okay. fall didn't nullify the calling it made the calling harder because now instead of a sinless condition, you had a sinful condition that was now um, operative in their lives that wasn't there at the beginning. So a lot of people want to discount what the Bible says because you see the fall and see the fall changed everything. It changed things, but it didn't change God's design. Okay. So tell me for our listeners, what exactly again is calling? Like give me a definition of calling because it's got to stay the same, right? Right. Okay. So a good way to do this is you have, most people have telephones. Mm -hmm. When you receive a call, you answer the call. If right. you decide to call someone, you're the one making the call. Mm -hmm. So from a biblical perspective, perspective, who creates the calling? Is the calling God created by God or by people? Yes, God yes, creates the calling. Okay. So if God creates the calling and God has designed all that has come into existence, then it behooves us to understand God's call and recognize that as the ultimate concern of men and women working together. Not being opposed to each other, but working together. Okay. So you call, you recognize you're referring to the call is whatever it is that God said for each of us. It's not different. It, it, there may be some details that are different, but the call is whatever God has said for Nancy Wilk to do. 
whatever God has said for Don Will to do. It's whatever Andre is supposed to do. Is that right? Well, you're making it a little bit too individualistic as though my call and your call, we live on opposite sides of the country. All right. So is your calling as a woman drastically different than my calling as a woman? Or do we both look at what God calls for us to do in our lives based on scripture? No, we both need to look at what he calls us to do based on scripture. Right. And since yeah. most of us who are either talking now or listening were born in the 20th century or born in the 21st century, we have been inundated with humanistic perspectives which say things like, a woman can do anything a man can do. Only which better because she's a woman. Right. As a matter of fact, she's right? better because she's a woman. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, let's be real. There are things that a woman can do that a man can never do. No matter yeah. how much people try to change the externals, a man will never be able to carry a child and deliver that child. Right. right. A woman cannot impregnate another woman. So just in terms of the dominion mandate to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, you need a male, you need a female, or you need a sperm, or you need an you know ovum in order to be able to have it. So even in all the perverted ways in which people try to thumb their nose at God, they still have to find a sperm and they still have to find an egg, right? Mm -hmm. So at best, their counterfeits are trying to say, we don't need you, God. Oh, but it won't work unless we do it the way you've designed it to be. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that there's a lot of people, you know, that are listening that have grown up with um, Roe v. Wade being, um, whatever, you know, Roe v. Wade and women being able to do anything they want to do and equal rights and all that kind of stuff that are going to say, are you telling me that that's all that I'm good for just to have babies for this man? Well, we know that that's not true. And, you know, there's going to be things that, that hit my head, hit my perspective. Uh, just, and I just go, wait, whoa, you know, and I might not like what I hear, but I have to recognize that if this is the word of God to me as a Christian, as a woman, I have to hear it. And it's him that I need to reckon with, not um, what anybody else thinks or whatever they say, or, or even what I want. I have to recognize the way God has made me and what he's called me to do. And I have to adjust myself in terms of that, right, even so if I don't like it. Right. But interspersed in your answer was something that I'm not sure you're aware of. And most people aren't. When you said is all I'm good for having babies. No, I'm better. When Adam looked at Eve, he called her the mother of all living. So I am good for having babies. At least I was up until a number of years ago. It okay. is the primary task. In other words, there would never be any children if God had not created Eve. In other words, he intended that the race would continue, the human race would continue by means of procreation. And Adam saw that in the animals that he was naming and classifying. So uh -huh. instead of going, 
oh, you just think I should be barefoot and pregnant, which is, of course, the thing that people like to say. No, God has entrusted women with caring for and nurturing future generations. And just in case you want to make that some sort of lesser thing, when God, the second person of the Trinity, became man, he could have spontaneously appeared on the scene as an adult. He could have done a lot of things. He could have hatched mature. But no, he grew in the womb of a woman. The second person of the Trinity entered into the womb of a woman. That is a very high calling. And when we diminish that, what we've done is we've bought into a presupposition that's not biblical and we haven't examined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we really do need to examine that. We may not have to, time to do it on this broadcast today, but you know, it, it, does, it, it does give evidence of how we have grown up in a, a secular um, antinomian uh, um, worldview. Antinomian means against God's law. So, so as we've grown up and not known God's law or rejected God's law, and we uh, our minds and our attitudes have been cluttered with, you know, all this other stuff that's contrary to God's word that that interferes with um, with the clarity on these things. So. You know, I think we really have an important um, opportunity as homeschoolers to, you know, to really go back and focus on these things and work through these things and um, put them back on solid biblical ground, not just for ourselves, but for our children and in moving forward in God's call. Right. And let's just be clear. When we talk about God's calling as a man, and God's calling on a woman, we're not talking about who changes the diapers. We're not talking about who scrambles the eggs. We're not talking about who does the grocery shopping. We're not talking about who's better mechanically that when the sink breaks, who can fix it, all right? Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. are tasks that need to be done and we live in a time where all those things are necessary. The role that God has given men is to be provider and protector. And there are certain attributes that a man has that lend themselves to that. God designed women to be the helpmate for her husband, to be the mother of all living, and then to nurture the children once they're born. Initially, she feeds them from her own body, but then she nurtures them. And she's primarily the one who will steer them in the direction of godly kingdom service. So if you want to know a very high calling for women, it's to shape the next generation. And it doesn't take much to notice that society has declined in terms of moral and ethical means. And there's an increase in criminality and all sorts of other violations of God's law. When women bought the lie that said, we can do everything men do, well, yeah, maybe you can. Maybe you can run a company just as well as the man. But who was raising the children? Who was teaching mm -hmm. them their role under God? And so society suffers when women buy the lie and men buy the lie that it doesn't matter. Just because you have a daughter doesn't mean she can't be a military general. Well, go to the scripture. Does God say a woman should be a military general? Does God say that a woman should even be in combat? 
I can tell you, once you look, the answer is no. Mm. And physically speaking, a woman has biological processes that go on that a man does not have. Those biological processes has everything to do with her ability to become pregnant and carry the child and deliver the child. And yet we want to throw all out that the window. So getting back to how do you train a girl to be a godly woman and how do you train a boy to be a godly man? You teach them God's law and you make sure they understand their intended purpose and how their being a boy or being a girl serves the kingdom of God. And you prepare them for the most important tasks they'll ever do. So a husband, as the, like, I think it was Doug Wilson who made the analogy. I don't know if it's original to him, but I first heard it with him. Think of a structure, a house. The man is the roof and the walls. Okay. The woman is more like inside who decorates the wall and makes that house a home. Most important functions. Everybody wants to be in an environment where it's warm, it's comfortable, it's nurturing, all things can happen. That's what God created women to do. Now, the fact mm -hmm. that they might have inclinations in medicine or law, that's fine. I'm not suggesting they don't become educated in that, but they recognize that family as God's primary institution is where their greatest calling will take place. And then maybe when they get to be old gals like you and me, and they don't have children that they're raising, hopefully they're helping other women or dealing with their grandchildren. But if they want to pursue something that will lend a woman's perspective to medicine or law or whatever it is, that's fine. The problem right. with the women can do everything men can do is that it then says park the primary function God created you for and then try to imitate men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't need to be imitating men and we don't need to be rejecting our primary um, calling and um, and purpose in advancing the kingdom of God. Okay. That's, a, that's a lot to think about, Andrea. It really is a lot to think about. So, so what about if, um, in terms of vocation, what is vocation and what if, um, what if the woman has better, um, like, um, better skills or more, um, or, or skills that would bring greater value to the marketplace? We can, we can, we still have to recognize the first things first seasons of our life and that kind of thing. But, but let's talk through some of that as well. Okay. So you're basically talking about marriage and you're talking about situations and I know them where the husband stays home and he's the house husband as opposed to the housewife and the woman who has uh, better skills and can command more money. She goes out and she's the provider. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are a lot of those. The question for those couples is, is it biblical? Can you find a justification in scripture that says that's the ideal? Now, the first thing people will say is, well, what if the husband gets sick? The wife has, yes, we're all, we understand that in emergency situations, there are things we have to do. But again, we're talking about the ideal, the standard. And if we make the exceptions, the standard, then things will devolve into chaos. Because quite frankly, the standard 
of God's word never changes. And that's why we've got to go back to an appreciation of, are you going to obey God or not? Not, are you going to obey me or not? You know, if you're saying, I mean, if you're not a believer and you don't think the Bible has any merit, most of what I'm saying, you can then caricature, make fun of, or try to use it against me. But if you sincerely believe that God's word should command your life, then you better discover the differences because there are differences. And if you don't explore those differences, then what you're basically saying is God's design was faulty and we're going to improve on it. And that's not, we can't, we can't improve on God's design. We neglect it to today, a culture that thinks it could. And how many people mm -hmm. are really thrilled other than those who are at war with God, who, who are, are happy to see the disintegration of the family. And, and, you know, as women have asserted their rights, has there been a reduction in sexual abuse or exploitation? No. There's no. been an increase. Yeah, I would, I would suspect there's been an increase. I can't oh, yeah. document it, but I would expect so. Because we're totally, did, we're already, we, when, once we start um, rejecting those things, then we're rejecting the whole thing and we're no longer protecting our families and marriage and our children. And we, we miss all the blessings of God because of that. Right. So when people say, you know, don't look at me as a woman, look at me as a person. God says that's impossible because God created the male and female. So when I say, look at me as a woman, I am saying, look at me as a person. I'm saying, look at me as the female God made me. Yes. You want to yes. create, interestingly enough, if we buy into that, look at me as a person, well, now there's someone who identifies as a this, or someone who identifies as that, and they're saying, look at me as a person. Don't look at me as my sexual orientation. Quite frankly, God doesn't care about our orientation. You know, when, when people talk today about, I identify as this, I identify as that. Well, you know, another way we could um, describe original sin is that I identify as God, determining right and wrong for myself. That's how I identify. That's how most people identify until God <laughs> redeems them. You're right. You're absolutely right. So the fact that somebody who is born male identifies as a female, we have to say, okay, that's a delusion. It could be imposed on him, in which case you pray that he is released from that bondage, or it could just be the manifestation of wickedness. And then we have to identify it as that. But mm -hmm. I am a woman. I'm never not going to be a woman. And quite frankly, I would never want to be a man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I hope that that's true in retrospect, in reverse, I should say. So we, we really have to get away from these presuppositions that are so humanistic and people have tried to shove them into the Bible. They're not there. They're not right. There. I, I remember um, some time ago, people used to be afraid to let their little boys play with dolls or their little girls play with trucks or climb trees as if that was going to create some sort of um, gender confusion where um, if we teach the law of God and recognize the biological fact and calling that God has, 
we certainly would want, I want my son to have enough sense of um, care for a child that he would be able to do that. So we wouldn't want to say, no, boy, little boy, you cannot do that. Nor to say to our, our um, daughter, you cannot learn to, to climb a tree. She might really need to be able to climb a tree one day. So those are not the things that that we need to be concerned about. What we need to be concerned about is more so that we're not really teaching them what God says is true, not which toys they play with or true. jobs they learn how to do. Even the whole idea of toys, isn't that sort of a modern Western affluent culture that one has dolls and one has trucks? The fact is, if you don't condition a child one way or the other, the girls all want to pick up the doll and the boys all want to take up the swords and start fighting with each other. Now, there are some differences that, you know, but oftentimes it's a pattern. So if you have a, a family that has an older brother and younger sisters and they've seen the older brother playing with trucks, of course, they're going to try to play with trucks and vice versa. The point is, what do we encourage and what do we tell? Um, our children? Do we tell them that God made a mistake and they really aren't the gender that it was announced when they were born? I mean, what does the doctor say or the midwife say or whoever catches the baby say? You have a girl, you have a boy. And they don't figure it out by looking at their ears and they don't figure it out by looking at their fingers. They figure it out by looking at their genitals. And those genitals were there before anybody knew. Nowadays, we can tell before people are born. We, we don't right. see this, this, this um, 72 or however many uh, orientations there are. There are two orientations, male and female. And the right. fact that some children might be born physically with you know merged genitalia or in differentiation, we would say, okay, that's an anomaly. That's not the normal. In humanistic culture, we want to take the anomalies and turn them into the norms. You know, it is really, um, it, it's really hard to think about how much humanism and has is is really just inundated us, and to to really take the time to sort through those things is a really, really important, it's really important thing for us to do. And I really appreciate the work of Calcedon and the opportunity that homeschooling gives us to step back and say, wait, what is really true? What has God said? Will we believe that? How will we move forward? And to have conversations like this where, you know, we can really examine things for what they are and, and to, you know, kind of clear clear the past, return to those, um, those ancient truths and, and biblical path. We've got to return to that. Right. And it's, it's a weedy road sometimes from where we've been. But it stresses all the more why the last place any Christian child should be in, is in a public school or even a private school that's going to acknowledge more genders than two, that's going to enforce that however someone quote unquote identifies, that's what everybody else has to accept. 
I mean, it's ludicrous, but if I told you I identify as a giraffe and you must treat me as a giraffe, um, people would correctly say, I'm the one who has a problem. In a humanistic, in a humanistic mindset, it's no, no, no. If you don't call her a giraffe, you're the one with the problem. And we're going to punish you for that. Mm -hmm. So have your children receive a Christian education, whether it's in a faithful Christian day school or in your homeschool. And even if you haven't quite sorted all this out yet, as you start examining your own presuppositions, then you'll be able to teach appropriately. Don't say I'm not ready because, you know, and, and I'll just have them in school because by the time they get older and you, t you finally come to an understanding that there are two genders, they are going to have been inundated with the pressure, the social peer pressure, having teachers that might be, I mean, I know of one woman who works at a very prestigious private school and there are teachers that are men who dress as women and, and people are paying top dollar to go to this school. So everybody thinks they're well-educated, but what are they educated in? And is it going to produce for them um, entrance into the kingdom of God or not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did we talk about, um, about vocation did you define vocation for me um not as well as i think you want me to so let me say this vocation and calling are very similar okay. so when i was born my calling was established i was a daughter i was a granddaughter because i had an older brother and sister i was a sister that was part of my calling and so we look at god's word and says what's required of me in those roles well i really much pretty much related to my brother and sister the same however i needed to recognize that him being my brother and older there were certain times that i were pla was placed under his control and authority so you're and talking about calling what you're talking about calling in terms of relationships and responsibilities right Right. It wasn't something I chose. I didn't choose to be a daughter or sister. God chose that. And oh, at the okay. point at which I'm older and I was ready to um, get married, then my calling to be a wife would only be fulfilled if I was married to a man who then became my husband. Because you see, wife and husband are gender specific nouns. Today, we want to make them gender unspecific. And as soon as we do that, then how we educate is going to be governed by who we're afraid of. Are we afraid of getting in trouble because we didn't call somebody who's confused by their right pronoun? So obviously then we fear man more than we fear God. Well, I've learned to fear God and keep his commandments as my primary duty. And I've also been taught from scripture that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So I suppose if you don't want to do your duty and you don't want to be wise, then fear man. But if you do want to do your duty to God and you do want to be wise, then you start off fearing God, not wanting to disobey him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So our calling is about um, the relationships and the gender that God has given us 
in the family as, um, you know, uh, um, as a woman under under the authority of God, as a wife, a man, no, first as a daughter. Uh, okay, so all those relationships. So, so what is vocation and how does it relate to calling? Well, I think, again, when we talk about calling, what's the call on your life? So that call is an external call. You're not making the call, you're receiving the call. And you'll discover that in a homeschooling setting by looking at your child's interests, your child's strengths, your child's abilities. So if somebody sits down and can actually play an instrument almost naturally without instruction, you'd have to say, God has placed that talent or ability right there, right? So you recognize it. And as a parent, you can develop it. But I think the trap is that we make calling where we receive our money. And I don't think that's an accurate way to look at it because many entrepreneurs I know have had many different businesses over the course of their life. So sometimes they were contractors, then they became detectives and then they became something else. In other words, the governing principle should be, how do we serve the kingdom? And I'll take a look at what I'm good at. Why would I try to serve the kingdom in something I'm not good at? Because then I won't do very well at it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then calling is more about our, um, our natural relationships and our vocation is more about what we're good at, not necessarily how we make our money. Almost. I'm actually saying calling and vocation should be the same thing, right? In other words, the relationship, my relationship to God dictates certain things. Okay. And so how that manifests itself, at least from my way of thinking, is in terms of like, for example, I'm educating my children and I wasn't particularly good at art. So if I wanted them to have any exposure to art, I outsourced that. I still thought it was important they had an appreciation for it. I just recognized I couldn't do it. By outsourcing it, I didn't give up my vocation as being the person who governed what they were going to learn and how they were going to learn it. I just had to outsource it. So the, the relationship you're talking about will involve our relationship to other people, but vocation is primarily our accepting our relationship to God in terms of how he made us. And then looking to the scripture to say, okay, based on what I am and who I am and what gifts and abilities I have, how do I serve the kingdom? But I don't divorce from myself as a woman that primarily my highest role is to bring into you know, my home the next generation and nurture that child to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. So motherhood is right up there with my, everyone's calling. And in God's providence, sometimes women marry and they don't have children, but that doesn't mean that they still can't fulfill the role God has given. Wow. Okay. So you have given us a lot to think about and a lot to unravel and it can, it can feel challenging. It, it really can feel challenging to folks, especially if this is some of the first time that they've really 
um, begun to explore some of these things. So we can take comfort in the fact that God's word is true and it's there and his Holy Spirit leads us into truth. And if we belong to him, we we just have to start obeying and then that understanding will come. So we don't have yeah. to figure it all out. We just have to walk in faith and, and recognize he's true. And recognize that my remarks here aren't meant to condemn anyone. My goal right. is to help people see things through God's eyes, as has been stated in scripture, and help them experience the blessing that's there in obedience. Um, mm -hmm. No doubt, no matter what they're doing, contrary to God's word, they're experiencing the, the negatives of not doing things God's way. I'm just trying to help people experience the positives and get on that straight and narrow road that leads to life as opposed to the wide road that leads to destruction. Right. Right. So do we, tr do we um, educate our boys and girls differently? Yes. And no. Yes. In terms of their gender difference and their vocation, their interests, their abilities, but no, as it relates to what God's law says and requires. Everybody needs to learn math. Everybody needs to cook. Everybody needs to know how to clean up their own, um, their own things. And everybody needs to know the law of God. But the, that particular child, um, the way God has made that particular child, boy or girl, uh, mechanically inclined or bookish, interested in medicine or bugs and either any of those things, we still have to take them um, before the Lord and um, train up that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, teach him the way he should go so that he can walk in the call that God has for him. Excellent summary with one addition. And that okay. is that what's always placed in front of that child as the child's being taught, because Children get influenced by their teachers and their parents. And so if their parents are their teachers in terms of this is not something that's going to squelch who you are. This is something that's going to enhance who you are as opposed to trying to um, obliterate how God created you. So done properly, it's a blessing, not a burden. Uh, very good. That That is an important addition because we do want our children to grow and flourish and to be the people that God's called them to be. We can own, we cannot do that apart from them and apart from this word. Right. Thank you again, Andrea, for always pointing us to that. It's a pleasure. I'll be looking forward to next week. Same here. All right. See you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.